On Labor Day in 1921, women across the nation were, for the first time, registering to vote in state primary elections. They had just a year earlier won this right and were now arming themselves for the next battle. Equal pay for equal work. Meanwhile, in the East Coast Beach Resort of Atlantic City, nine beauty maids were competing in what would become the first ever Miss America pageant. These contestants, as young as 16 years of age, hoped to win, among other prizes, a golden trophy worth more than many professional, skilled women earned in a year. The first pageant didn't require the pretense of a talent. It was all about the contestants' looks, charm, and costumes, and whether or not thousands of visiting spectators applauded the loudest when her name was called. And while this chasm between women's priorities loomed large in Atlantic City, it was hardly the only social dichotomy. In 1921, nearly 12% of the nation's workforce was unemployed, a fact lost on the wealthy industrialists, socialites, and political power brokers who'd arrived at the resort in luxury excursion trains, fancy new motor cars, and yachts. Truth is, in Atlantic City in September 1921, thoughts were on everything but the men and women on whose labor this nation relied. Whether it's history, crime, or legend, Stephanie Hoover has that story. female workers who had to convince their mostly male employers of their worth, the bathing beauties of Atlantic City's intercity beauty pageant were faded like royalty. Hotels, restaurants, and other boardwalk businesses immediately recognized and hoped to capitalize on their draw. City officials were relying on the beauty pageant to extend the summer season by one highly profitable week, and even the local obscenity ordinances were set aside for the three-day event. As a Philadelphia Inquirer reporter breathlessly noted, Never in the 80 years of her history has Atlantic City witnessed such a massing of scantily clad feminine loveliness as this morning when 500 dimple-kneed young women in one-piece bathing suits marched in the Bathers Review along the famous stand of the world's greatest playground bare arms and legs flashing in the sun. This was an obscenity that would never have flown in previous years in Atlantic City. In fact, in 1905, then-Mayor Franklin Pierce Stoy signed an edict banning bathing suits made of thin or transparent fabrics. Additionally, all women's bathing skirts were to be knee-length. Beach guards were tasked with monitoring these violations and were authorized to let down the hems of offending apparel. Where these violations could not be resolved on site, women were to be brought to the police station where police matrons would alter the hems to required length. The additional requirement of covering up one's bathing suit everywhere but on the beach led to the facetious moniker of Macintosh Girls. So many raincoats were left hanging from boardwalk rafters that some worried it would soon look like a laundromat on drying day. By 1921, though, Stoy was long gone. 
Mayor Edward L. Bader was more forgiving of city ordinances, particularly during the pageant. In fact, more than one visitor and newspaper editor wondered where the censors might be, while fretting that bathing suits not much in evidence were very much in evidence. But racy beachwear isn't the only exception during Atlantic City's 1921 fall pageant. Enforcement of the prohibition of alcohol also seemed absent during the event. Prior to the pageant, customs agents and federal officers were destroying illegally distilled spirits by the warehouse. On the day the pageant ended, agents arrived to guard the coasts of both Atlantic City and nearby Wildwood against rum-running schooners moored just outside the 12-mile territorial jurisdiction of the United States. Yet, no one seemed to care about the evils of alcohol over Labor Day weekend or during the ensuing fall pageant. After all, there was law and there was profit. What good would it have done the businesses catering to the 100,000 potential customers who showed up for the pageant only to have them rounded up or harassed by local police or federal agents? While the Atlantic City Fall Festival was the talk of eastern coastal cities, Americans in other regions knew or cared little about it. A deep economic depression was bearing down on the country, one that would only be bested by the Great Depression eight years later. Between 1920 and 1921, unemployment skyrocketed. At a time when the country's population totaled only 108 million, six million working Americans had lost their jobs. President Harding's labor secretary, James J. Davis, publicly worried that unemployment was a critical problem. He decried companies that paid desperate, jobless workers the bare minimum wage. Salaries, said Davis, should be sufficient to pay the bills, eat, and save money. As the moneyed leisure class enjoyed a post-Labor Day frolic in Atlantic City, employees of the Federal Civil Service Division prepared for their annual convention. Wages were of particular interest to this group, especially the women who hoped to shine a spotlight on the federal government's salary inequality. One newspaper reporter described these ladies as being up in arms against salary discrimination. Gertrude M. McNally, secretary of the Women's Union, delivered the following statistics to fellow civil service attendees. The average salary of women, she said, was $200 less than that of men. Though they did the exact same job as their male skilled counterparts, skilled women were paid less. Women in exceptionally difficult positions, such as nurses in hospitals for the insane, they were paid just $10 per week, even less than minimum wage. Salaries for women in the Department of Labor were limited to $1,800. When asked, the senator and congressman who prescribed these limits said this amount was more than sufficient for a woman. In breezy, cool Atlantic City, though, the pageant entrants had none of these disparities on their minds. They were too busy enjoying free hotel suites, box seats at the Boardwalk Apollo Theater and yacht tours of the ocean coastline. In fact, their only worries were who might be named the most beautiful girl in America, the Bathers Review, or the pageant overall. 
At the end of the three-day event, it was the barely 16-year-old Margaret Gorman, Miss Washington, D.C., who captured all three titles. Her prize haul was valued at over $2,000, nearly $30,000 by modern standards. Margaret was invited back to Atlantic City the following year to defend her titles, but there was a slight hitch. She couldn't return as Miss Washington, D.C. because another girl had won that title in 1922. So pageant directors dubbed Margaret Miss America, a tradition that remains alive to this day. The modern Miss America pageant has worked hard to shed its superficial and exploitative reputation. The swimsuit competition was recently eliminated. Candidates can advocate for social issues they support, and winners receive college scholarships. Still, for many, this beauty contest is an anachronistic relic. Stereotypical superficiality most women still struggle against daily. As for women's fight for equal pay, in 2009, Barack Obama signed the Lilly Ledbetter Act, which extends the statute of limitations for filing equal pay lawsuits. Still, discrimination remains. Women earn just 80 cents to each dollar earned by men. They're also less likely to be promoted, more likely to be punished for giving birth, and more prone to sexual harassment on the job. As we approach Labor Day weekend 2020, it's clear that American society still hasn't quite decided whether it's more important for women to be pretty or be paid. Well, that's my story about Labor Day 1921. I hope you found it interesting. To learn more about this podcast, visit stephaniehoover.com. Remember, you can subscribe to Stephanie Hoover Has That Story on all podcast hosts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy the show, I hope you'll do that so I know you're listening. Until next time, this is Stephanie Hoover reminding you, it's a crazy world out there. So please, be well, be happy, and be kind.